Abby, I am a sympathetic crier, so anytime I see somebody else getting really emotional, it just like triggers it for me, and I just go, mm. I just become a mess. So, but thank you so much for, for sharing that uh, and sharing your heart with us. So it is definitely a pleasure to be speaking with you all this morning. Um, this is my second week in a row. I've never done back-to-back sermons. This has definitely been a challenge for me and a blessing, but I'm definitely glad to see uh, everyone back here today. Now, as most of you guys know, and as we've mentioned before, this is the last Sunday that we have with Jeff and Andrea Gladstone. And they've been blessing our church now for 27 years. And even though we're going to miss them dearly, their impact here will be felt for many years to come. I can't look at my wife right now. She's going to make me... See, this is what happens. If I see someone else, go, then I'm going to lose it. I'm just going to ignore that. Uh. So I've been trying my hardest to get them to stay, but I have not been successful so far. So I hope you guys are all familiar with the term filibuster. So I brought my Bible today. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, Genesis 1-1, if you'll please turn. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'd love to, though. No, honestly, though, this morning is very special. And it's going to be a Sunday that I'm going to remember for a long time. With that being said, this morning is going to be a bit different. My time is actually going to be a little shorter, uh, and that's so that we can have some extra time with Jeff and Andrea later. Uh, And on a practical note, um, like I said, I was going to be uh, speaking a little bit shorter, but also I've broken up my sermon into three different parts. And my sermon is being pulled from conversations that I've been having with Jeff uh, over these last few weeks in anticipation of them leaving. And as you can see from your bulletins this morning, the title of our sermon is titled, Hello, Is It Me You're Looking For? <laughs> and I chose this because each of us are being called by God to respond to him, to leave our old lives behind us, and to follow him on a journey of faith. So this morning, the three points that I'm going to be hitting are the turning point in our lives, the importance of community, and being prepared for the journey. So if you would please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 42 through chapter 5, verse 11. It's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, starting at verse 42. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. 
And as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Now he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Please go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to the land. They left everything and followed him. Let's pray for today's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to apply your word to our lives. That you would help us to grow in our understanding each day and that we would reflect on our own lives to address what needs attention. We ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word and your instructions each day so that we may follow you more closely, doing so willingly and with a grateful heart. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, in preparing for this morning's sermon, I met with Jeff a few times to talk to him about this process of leaving and the decisions uh, that led to this point and some of the realizations that he's had in the process. And in our first discussion, Jeff mentioned the various moments throughout his life that led to this, from his desire to teach back in the 90s to his career at Aerojet to his relationship with Moffitt from North Rise University in Zambia, to then going to Zambia, and all of the people that he's met along the way and the discussions he's had, he said that they eventually God brought him to a turning point. He could either chalk up all of these moments that have happened over the last few decades as just a mere coincidence, or he could explore what God was doing in his life. And it was in that process that made him realize that God was calling him to a new place, to start a new chapter in their lives, leaving all that was familiar with them and beginning a new journey. And as I thought about his words, turning points, that is what struck out to me. It led me to read the four Gospels back to back. And I really wanted to focus my attention on the apostles, because they too came to a turning point in their lives. 
And as you read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that each one gives a slightly different perspective of how the apostles came to start following Jesus. But the reason I chose this part is because this is where we see that turning point in those men's lives. Now, what do we actually know about the apostles? As some of the most important figures in the Bible, we actually don't know very much about them. We know that Peter and Andrew were fishermen and that they were brothers. We know that Andrew was first a disciple of John the Baptist. And then when John saw Jesus, he pointed to him and said, He is the Lamb of God. So then Andrew started following Jesus, and then quickly he grabbed his brother Peter. James and John were also brothers. They too were fishermen, as we just read, and they were partners with Peter and Andrew. And we know that Matthew was a tax collector, and that's significant because at the time, tax collectors were despised, unlike today. But that didn't stop Jesus from calling him to service. And then we have Philip and Bartholomew. We have Thomas. We have another James. We have Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. So we have a few occupations, and we know a little bit about their lives later on. But what I wanted to know is, what made them, what made them decide to follow Jesus? What events led them up to that moment? What made them decide to drop everything and to follow Jesus? We know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their careers as fishermen. When Jesus said to them, follow me, they dropped their nets, left all the fish that they had just caught. They even left their father in the boat, and they went with him. And in each of the Gospels, none of the apostles questioned whether or not they were going to follow Jesus. We don't see a story where Jesus says to John, you know what, if you don't want to make a decision now, you don't have to do that. If at a later time you change your mind, if you want to follow me, it's entirely up to you. That didn't happen. They wanted to follow him and learn from him. And it didn't matter what it cost them or what they'd be leaving behind. Matthew chapter 16 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what does it mean to take up your cross? Today, when people say that they have a cross to bear, they're talking about a burden, in the same way that Jesus was burdened by carrying his cross. But Jesus wasn't saying, lift up your burdens. Jesus explains what he means when he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. The cross was a symbol of death. What Jesus was saying is that if you truly want to follow him, you must be willing to leave your life behind, no matter the cost, and no matter how difficult it might be. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that he, is the bread, uh, he, that he is the bread that gives life and that has come down from heaven, and that anyone who eats his bread will have eternal life. 
And at the time that Jesus said this, he actually had a lot of disciples, a lot of people that were following him, listening to him, and going from place to place. But when Jesus said these words, their response was, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And then it says that many of the disciples turned back and stopped following him. In other words, they didn't want to follow Jesus if it was going to be difficult. They were looking for something easy. And I think that most of us can probably relate to that. I myself, I don't like doing things that are hard. I certainly don't like doing it more than things that are easy. This is why cleaning the house is something that rarely gets done, and eating healthy hardly ever happens either. (laughs) But the truth is that following Jesus does require sacrifice. We sacrifice our time, our resources, our energy, even our comfort and our safety. I'll tell you what, Jesus, I believe everything that you say, and I want to follow you wholeheartedly, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep being a fisherman here with my brother, and I'm just going to read the transcripts from all of your talks And I'll I'll even pray to you before and after meals, maybe. That wasn't what they said, though, was it? No. When you look at their response and the speed at which these men follow Jesus, it points to them being compelled to follow him. They couldn't not follow him. God was already at work in the lives of these apostles. He was shaping them, molding them, preparing their hearts for the day that Jesus came. So that when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, that was all they needed to hear for them to drop what they were doing and to follow him. So perhaps God has been working on your hearts, preparing you for the day when Jesus comes and says, follow me. Then you'll cast down your nets leaving everything behind. Part two, the importance of community. Now, leaving everything behind can certainly be scary, especially if it's family. Now, I'm the youngest of six children in my family, and the oldest is my brother David. We have a 14-year gap between the two of us, but we're actually the closest among all the siblings. And I remember back in 1998, David uh, left here. We had to help him move from his home here in Sacramento because he was going to move down to Los Angeles to be with his then future wife who lived down there. And today, you know, they're married. They have two children, and now they live in Texas where David is the senior pastor at his church there. But I remember helping David move like it had happened just last week because it was a very emotional time for me. I remember how incredibly emotional I was and how sad I was that I wasn't going to be able to see him like I had been my whole life. His moving away made me realize just how important relationships are. And I've mentioned before that when Sarah and I first visited East Parkway Church, the thing that stood out to us the most was how friendly and welcoming everyone was here. We, we didn't want to be part of a church that revolved around a pastor and his sermons on Sunday morning. 
We wanted to be part of a community. We didn't want to sit next to strangers on Sunday morning. We wanted to sit next to friends and people we loved and people we knew loved us. And so the second time when I chatted with Jeff about their decision to move, he said that relationships would be the thing that he missed the most. And in the same way that I realized just how important relationships were when my brother left, Jeff started thinking about all the relationships that he's had here, not just here at East Parkway, but all the relationships he's had growing up until now. And so I asked him, I said, can you see yourself becoming part of that community in Iowa? And he responded, I wouldn't be going if, if, I, if I couldn't see myself being part of that community. So in other words, even with all the events that have been taking place in his life over the last few decades, all of them that are now pointing him in this new direction, if he didn't have the prospect of community, then the, the decision to leave would not have been made. This just fueled my conviction that the most important thing in our lives is not our careers. It's not where we live. It's not our success to failure ratio. It's about relationships. All of this, all of creation, all of the earth, and every person in it, we were made for relationships. A man went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you could take all the things that you've been telling us about honoring our father and mother, honoring God, taking care of the poor, honoring the Sabbath, doing good, uh, not stealing, all of that stuff, everything else, if you could just boil it down, if you could simplify it, what's the one thing that we should be doing? And what was Jesus' response? He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say anything about doing good works. Of all the actions and deeds that he could have told us to do, he said that love is the most important. Love for our Father in heaven and love for our neighbor. Now, for centuries, mankind has been trying to answer one question— it's sometimes referred to as the question, the question above all questions, and that is, what is the meaning of life? And the problem is that mankind has been trying to answer this question apart from God. We want to reject our Creator while simultaneously trying to find purpose for our existence. So have you ever asked yourself, why did God create us? Was God lonely? Did he need company? Is that why he created humans? John 17 says, Now this is eternal life, that, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The meaning of life is being in relationship with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder why relationships are so important to us? This is why community is so important. It's why family is so important. It's why we offer coffee and snacks before the church service on Sundays. 
It's why we plan church activities during the week. It's why being part of a home group is so important. Relationships are what we are called to. It fulfills our purpose. God wasn't lonely prior to creation because God wasn't alone. The beautiful and amazing thing about God is that he is three distinct persons in one, meaning that God is constantly within relationship with himself. His very nature is a loving relationship. So it shouldn't come as a surprise when Jesus says that the most important commandments involves love and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, if you were here last week, you might recall that I talked about being part of the body of Christ and how each of us has a different role. Some of us leaders, some of us being in a supportive role, others to encourage and offer discernments, and that our roles in the body of Christ can change over time. And as we read, we are all called to be part of this body and that we cannot function independently, that we need each other. We were designed and created to work together as we travel through life. Which brings me to part three, being prepared for the journey. I think one of the most helpful ways to think about the Christian life is to see it as a journey. The Bible itself is peppered with this image. Perhaps the greatest would be the 40-year journey that the Israelites took in the wilderness uh, on their way to Canaan. We also read about Abraham stepping out in faith to leave the land of his ancestors to go to a place that God had chosen. Now, the New Testament tells how the earliest term used to refer to Christians was those who belong to the way. They were seen as travelers on their way to the New Jerusalem. And thinking of the Christian life as a journey through the world offers us a helpful way of visualizing our life of faith. It reminds us that we are going somewhere. It encourages us to look ahead and to look forward with anticipation of the joy of arrival. And yet, traveling does more than just lead us to our goal. The journey itself is a process that enables us to grow and to develop as we move forward towards our destination. To travel is certainly about finally achieving the journey's end, but is also experiencing and encouraging personal and spiritual growth within us as we travel. Traveling is the process that helps us develop as people and as believers. The Latin word viator, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's V-I-A-T-O-R, that was used to refer to the believer on the road to heaven. The word literally means a traveler, someone who is passing through the world. The term points to the need to see yourself as a sojourner, otherwise as someone who is, staying, who is only staying temporarily, not a settler. Someone who is passing through the world, not one who expects or wants to remain there, but who is also prepared to lend a hand to make things better as they pass through. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his sermon, The Christian Pilgrim, We ought not to rest in the world and its enjoyments, but should desire heaven. 
We ought above all things to desire a heavenly happiness, to be with God and well with Jesus Christ. We ought to possess, enjoy, and use life's opportunities with no other view but readily to quit them whenever we are called to it and to change them willingly and cheerfully for heaven. Now, as a Christian pilgrim who is constantly traveling, we will need refreshing. Like the hiker who is going through the woods, as you go, you need food and water in order to keep going. And for the follower of Christ, Jesus is our refreshment. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This psalm makes the point that it is God alone who can refresh and renew us on our journey of faith. Just as physical travel makes us hungry and thirsty for food and water, the journey of faith must be sustained by the living God. Jesus speaks of giving us water which becomes a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The point being made is that ordinary water satisfies temporarily. The water that Jesus brings brings permanent refreshments. And in the same way, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. And unlike the manna that was given to the Israelites in the wilderness, anyone who eats this bread will be satisfied fully and live forever. Jesus sustains us on our journey. Now, whenever Sarah and I go on hikes or long walks, especially in a place that's new to us, I have actually developed a habit of looking back every now and then as we're going forward. And the reason I do that is because as we go and eventually head back, I want to make sure that we're headed back in the right direction. Uh, but just as a side note, Sarah actually has a great sense of direction, so it's really just for my own peace of mind. <laughs> but this thought of looking back at where we've been, while also looking ahead to where we're going, this is what keeps us going on the journey. The Christian life is set between the past and the future. The journey of faith is sustained by memory on one hand and anticipation on the other. Israel looked back to their deliverance from Egypt, and they remembered the faithfulness of God. They looked ahead with an eager hope, hope to the final entry into the land that God had promised them. And as Israel wandered through the wilderness, these were anchors that secured their faith in times of doubt. And we, too, are called to remember the price that Jesus paid for us. We remember our brokenness and how Jesus lifted us up. And now we look forward to the new path that he has set before us. We must remember the past and anticipate the future. In the past, we remember the act of redemption in which God delivered us from sin, death, and despair through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the future, we anticipate the final entry into the new Jerusalem to be with God forever. And this is what we've been called to. This is what it means to answer the call, to pick up your cross, to leave your life behind you, and to follow Jesus.
And just as God had been working in the lives of the apostles, preparing their hearts and minds, you too are being prepared for the journey ahead. So, be ready to cast down your nets when Jesus says, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for working in our lives each day, preparing our hearts as we follow you. We thank you for this community and for the gift of relationships and how you use them to help us to know you better. Thank you for sustaining us on this journey of faith, for being our everlasting bread and water and refreshing our spirits. And help us to love one another in the same way that you love us. We pray for the people in our lives that do not yet have a relationship with you. And we ask that you would continue to work in their lives through us and through their other relationships so that they would see you and that they would answer your call. We pray these things in your name. Amen.